Praise the Lord, everyone. Isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord? There's just no place you can go and feel what we have felt here tonight. No place. What a wonderful presence of the Lord that we feel. It's just good to be home. I think I'm a little wore out in the last 18 days I was in town one day for four hours, another day for two hours, and another day for four hours, and finally got home last night. And it's, it's good to be home for a little while. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to the book of 1 Peter chapter 2, and I want to start reading verse 5 through verse 10. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. Ye also, as living stones, are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the Scriptures, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. To you, therefore, who believe he is precious, but to them who are disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them who stumble at the word, being disobedient, to which also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. For a few moments tonight, I want to speak to you about abandoned priesthoods. The Lord bless you. you. May be seated. Before I begin tonight, let me say what an honor it is to be home. Uh, I don't know that you folks understand what an incredible place this church is, but I travel places. I promise the Lord long time ago that I would never turn down an invitation. But I didn't promise him I'd go back. <laughs> and there have been several places that I have been that I said, Lord, once I get through here, <laughs> please don't let that invitation come back. <laughs> but that's not here. There's just such an incredible presence of the Lord that's here. And tonight, I, uh, I, I want to share with you something the Lord uh, put on my heart about two weeks ago. And I, I hope tonight I deliver it the way that the Lord spoke it to me in the beginning. Um, I believe that the church today is poised for the greatest revival that the world has ever seen. We do not understand 
what happened last Tuesday. We really don't. We don't understand how God stepped into a situation and changed it. My Bible emphatically says that he puts kings in power and takes them down. And God is still in charge. God is still in charge. There were a group of apostolics that were given permission. One of the men is actually has been appointed by the UN to be uh, one of their representatives that comes to uh, New York City, enters the UN. He has a badge. He can get in at any time. And he's there basically as a spiritual advisor. But he's also pastor of one of our apostolic churches. And... Over the last three years, there have been 90-something-plus people from the U.N. that have received the baptism of the Holy Ghost and have been baptized in Jesus' name as a result of Bible studies held in the U.N., actually inside the building, in their chapels, in their meeting rooms. There have been notable miracles that have taken place, but last Monday night, they gathered together for... A time of intercessory prayer lasted all night, Monday night. They prayed into Tuesday. Others arrived on Tuesday to pray. And Tuesday at about 6 o'clock, a prophecy came that said, Tomorrow when you wake up, you will see a miracle you would have thought would have never happened. Now that was prophesied from the UN. The chief of staff that Mr. Trump has put in position was baptized in Jesus' name and received the baptism of the Holy Ghost in the United Pentecostal Church in Wisconsin just a few months ago. And both of his staff, one that covers the east coast of the United States and the other one that covers the west coast of the United States, have been baptized in Jesus' name and have received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. If you want to go online and look up a lady by the name of Michelle Bachman, who is a was a representative from one of the northern states, I think it's Michigan, maybe Wisconsin, she gives a lecture where she teaches people how to find Jesus. And she said, I can tell you how easy it is to find Jesus. It's very simple. You must be baptized in Jesus' name. You must repent of your sins. And then you must receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. When I was in high school and saw the chaos that started happening around me and in my generation, and saw... Uh, several that lost their life as a result of taking drugs and overdose. When the hippie generation was in its height, its heyday, I remember living through that, and I often wondered what would be the end result of those people. How would they affect our world? And they nearly hijacked it. But God said no. 
God said no. And today we are poised for the greatest revival that we have ever seen. And God is moving in spite of us, but he will move with us if we'll just fall in line. But there are some things that must happen. A few weeks ago, I was preparing to do a seminar at a church. Actually, I was, we were headed to Hawaii to speak at a marriage retreat. And I was studying to prepare for that. And I went back to the book of Genesis and began to read Genesis again. And as I was reading in the book of Genesis chapter 3, there was a scripture that just kind of caught my attention. And so I I stopped and I reread it. And I, I read the prophecy of what God said about time, eternity as a result of the garden. He said in verse 15 that I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Under the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. One of my Bible programs has a lot of notes of translations, and so I just happened to click on one of those notes of translation, and it triggered me to go look at other places. And, and as I began to study that passage of Scripture, there were some things that, that just became obvious that I hadn't paid attention to before. But according to Jewish scholars and people who know the Hebrew language, the note says this passage is actually a judgment oracle. It announces that conflict between man and woman will become the norm in human society. It prophesies that from that day there will be an ongoing battle between men and women. And the literal translation of that passage of Scripture literally says, the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your labor pains. With pain you will give birth to children. You will want to control your husband, and he will dominate you. So from the garden till Jesus, that principle lived. When you look at all the Old Testament characters and their families, you will see that there was an ongoing conflict between a man and a woman. But when Jesus came, John says that the first order of business that Jesus took care of was to go to a wedding. And at a wedding, he would turn water into wine for one reason, to protect a bride. When the first Adam failed to protect his bride, God designed in the garden that a man and woman would live in an equal type of relationship because the word help meet means co-equal. But because Adam did not protect his wife and he did not guard his garden and he let a devil in 
because he was given the authority to decide who comes in and who doesn't come in. It is your responsibility to keep this garden, and that means to guard it. So your responsibility is to make sure that you decide who gets in this garden and who doesn't get in this garden. And so one day he lets an angel in that comes with not the right purpose and does nothing to intervene and stop this interaction that would produce destruction to humanity. And as a result of that, then there was a prophecy from God that here's going to be the problem through eternity, that there will be an ongoing struggle that will live in every family, in every home, in every relationship between a man and a woman. There's going to be an ongoing struggle that's going to become part of a DNA structure that you're going to be born with, that you're going to have to battle to overcome. And the second Adam shows up and says, all right, here's what we've got to do. We've got to protect the bride. We've got to make sure that the bride is protected so that her life is not destroyed. And as a result of the cross, the church becomes the answer to stop that battle and war. It is only through the new birth process and becoming part of this family and this kingdom that we have the ability to conquer that, the problem and struggle that's there. And if you listen to the world as they talk about us, they will often make fun of us for the way we put the structure of a home in place. They'll make fun of our ladies because ladies will submit to their husbands and they'll listen to the authority of their husband. When your world today is saying, no, don't do that. You don't have to do that. You've got to write. The world today has picked up that struggle, and it has become the struggle that almost conquered America. God said no. And as a result, now there's a door of opportunity that's opening. I was taken to the airport yesterday by a young man who is working on his doctorate degree in the field of, of leadership. And he is an incredibly intelligent young man. And on the way to the airport, we started talking. We had been carrying on this conversation. He had picked me up at my hotel for three days, taking me to church and taking me back. And so over these, these several days, we had probably 12, 14, maybe 15 hours of conversation. And during that whole time of conversation, he was talking about, he, he actually was allowed or had the ability to meet some of these people. And all this information I shared with you just a few moments ago came from this young man. And he has been invited by one of the senators, I think, from Oklahoma, to that, that he would like for him or he wants to be involved in his life and he wants to help him to become a leader of his people. Um, he has from the African-American community, but he's incredibly intelligent. And he's in, he is devoted to living for God. And he, he was sharing with me on, on the way to the airport. He said, the problem with America today is that we have taken man out of the equation, and men are no longer important in relationships. He said, in my community... They have isolated the man 
and in doing so have destroyed them and have, as a result, caused more of them to wind up in prison because they have no purpose or they're not needed. And as a result of not being needed and having no purpose, they get involved in all kinds of of things that, that wind up causing them to become criminals and they wind up in prison and as a result going to prison, lose their right to vote. He said it almost appears that it has been an orchestrated event that they have done intentionally to destroy their influence. Now, I didn't say that. This is a young man that grew up in that environment. He said, I grew up in a Section 1 house. My mother was never married to one of the men that she had children with. And I know this from a fact that this is what I rose out of, that I said I will never be like that. And as a result, he found a Pentecostal church, got the Holy Ghost, got baptized. Now he's on a staff at the church there in Virginia and is an incredible young man and is an incredible preacher and teacher. But, but he said that as a result of what our world has done, it has destroyed men and their ability to be part of their families and to be involved in their families. And that's where we are today. And I began to look at this passage of Scripture, and the Lord took me several places. In the book of Jeremiah, there's a prophecy, or Jeremiah speaks to Israel in the 44th chapter of Jeremiah. It starts in the 7th chapter, and he says, he, he, just, he just simply makes this statement that the children gather wood, and the fathers kindle the fire, and the women mead their dough to make cakes to the queen of heaven and to pour out drink offerings unto other gods that they may provoke me to anger. Children are gathering firewoods. Fathers are building fires with it. Women are mixing dough to make cakes to offer to the goddess they call the queen of heaven. They are also pouring out drink offerings to their god. They seem to do all these things just to trouble me. The 44th chapter is picked up again, and it says, and as for the word that thou hast spoken unto us, this is them speaking to Jeremiah. As for the word thou hast spoken unto us in the name of the Lord, we will not hearken unto thee, but we will certainly do whatsoever thing goeth forth out of our mouth to burn incense unto the queen of heaven and to pour out drink offerings unto her as we have done we and our fathers our kings, our princes in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem. For then had we plenty of victuals and were well and saw no evil. They were attributing the chaos of their life to God causing it to happen. But as long as they were worshiping Astrath, who is called the Queen of Heaven, as long as they're worshiping her, they said we had plenty of food, we were not in trouble, we didn't have chaos, and we had plenty. And God says, I, I will judge you for that because you are worshiping sex or the God of sex. And this is what I have opposition against. So we go to the New Testament and we find a Corinthian church that has the temple of Aphrodite at the top of the hill on which the city is built. And there, they are doing the same thing. So in the book of Corinthians, the 11th chapter, God speaks to us through the Apostle Paul. 
and says, here is the order that God created man to be in. Here's how the church must fall in line if the church is going to be successful and if the church is going to have revival. Christ is the head of the church. The man is the head of the woman. And if this alignment is in place, then the church can function in a whole way. When you go to the book of Ephesians, you find that same issue in the fifth chapter. There's the same problem because we've got the same goddess. She just has a different name. Now she's called Diana instead of Aphrodite. It has the same ritual as Astra. It's the worship of sex. It's the worship of the human body and, and, and whatever the human body desires. It's okay. And so this has become an issue even in the church at Ephesus. And Paul has to write to the church at Ephesus. And he has to remind them that I, I am telling you or I am saying to you that you need to submit yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Submission is not multiple choice. It's not what I get to choose to do. God says, I demand that all of you submit yourselves to each other. Submission's not about who's in charge. It's about who I'm accountable to. And if I'm accountable to somebody who's important in my life, I won't dominate them. I won't step on them. I won't try to wreck their lives. I will make them understand that I'll do anything within my power to make their life better. Our world has taken this submission thing and said, no, we don't have to do that. We're Americans. We can do anything we want. We may be Americans, but I'm going to tell you something. Your constitution don't work with God. It don't work at home, by the way, either. I can emphatically tell you it'll wreck your home. Just because you have a right to say anything you want to say anytime you want to say it, don't mean it's a good idea. You want to wreck somebody's life? Just let your tongue loose because it's a flamethrower, James said. It leaves scorched territory. It'll destroy everybody's life that's around, and you'll cause chaos among everybody. You want to wreck somebody's life? Tell them you don't like them. I don't like you. I don't love you. You're not worthy. You're, you're worthless. You're broke. You're damaged. I hate you. I wish you weren't born. Let your tongue loose. You'll wreck their lives. you got a right to do it. Don't work. So America has gone from a nation that valued each other to a nation of law. And when you become a nation of law, then you lose the value of people. And when you lose the value of people, you don't care how you treat them, what you do to them. You'll hurt people. Look at what's happening in our society. Look, look at how, how we have turned on each other and, and all the chaos. Today, uh, this morning somewhere out in the city of San Antonio, a policeman was assassinated. He was riding a ticket in a car had come back to his vehicle, a car pulls up beside him or behind him. Someone gets out of the car, walks up to the other side and shoots him and then shoots him another time and leaves. Happened today. It's happening on a regular basis. Why? Because that's what our society's done to us. That's what happens when we go to war with each other and we don't respect each other and we don't see each other as valuable and we don't become accountable to each other. Everybody matters. There's not one human being that doesn't have value in life. Everybody is important to God, and everybody ought to be important to us. How did this happen? When man lost his influence, he lost his priesthood. 
he gave up the role of being priest of his home. And when he quit being priest of his home, now his home is in chaos. Unless man today, and when I speak, the male gender doesn't pick up the robe of a priest and put it on. If God's men don't put on an ephod so that they know what thus says the Lord and they can hear from God and they can find direction. You see, when David truly worshiped God, when the ark was coming into Jerusalem, he put the ephod on. And when he put the ephod on, he's reminded on each shoulder are six names of the six tribes on one shoulder, six tribes on the other. And then there are stones on the front that have the name of each of those tribes to remind him that it is God that brought me here. And it's God that will take me through. It is God that I need to be connected to, not humans, not others. If I don't get my God connection correct. I'm going to unplug the God connection and stick it on to the closest thing that looks like God, and that's humans, because they're made in His image. So I'm going to start doing what I should do to God. I'm going to start giving it to human beings, and I'm going to start living my life through humans instead of God. By the way, that term in psychology is called codependency. When I, I, I lose my God connection, I'll become dependent on humans to feel good about myself, to like myself, to think I'm okay, to, to have any kind of self-confidence. I, I can only get that if my kids are doing well or, or my grandkids are doing well or if these things happen. That's the only can happen because I'm not connected to God. And if I want to get connected to God as the man of my home, I've got to put on the priesthood robe and I, I've got to put on the ephod and, and understand, okay, God, where would you like for me to go? You're over me. I'm submitted to you. I'm not leading my house because of what I want to do or by my will or my desires or by wants or my ambition. I submit them to you. And if I don't have a garden to die in, I will never submit to him. It's only in a garden of prayer where I can conquer this stuff called flesh. And when I get this flesh conquered and under control, then I can submit to him and say, Okay, God, I'll let you take me anywhere. I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll let you lead me. And when I start letting God lead me instead of me doing it my way or what I want or my desires, then my life starts changing. My family starts changing. My relationships start changing because I'm in alignment with God. I'm not out of alignment. And if, if the church gets in alignment and men take on the priesthood role again and become priests at home, men, your wives should not be leading in worship. Your wives should not be leading in prayer. Your children need to see you in the center of worship. Your children need to understand that you're taking up the, the role of worship. And you'll lead your home and your house in worship and praise and adoration. They won't have a question about whether we're going to go to church tonight. I remember as a kid when I came home from school on Wednesday afternoon, I never asked my parents, are we going to church tonight? I knew when I got home, get my homework done because when Dad got home, we ate supper. We were getting dressed and going to church. And it didn't matter how sick I was. If I had 101 fever, I was drugged to church. They took me in front, prayed for me. Sometimes God healed me. Sometimes he didn't. So I was at church, sick or well. Why? Because my dad was the priest of my home. And he didn't let my mother show us how to worship. 
I remember watching my dad do it. I, I, I remember seeing my dad jump off the floor and his feet sometimes. I, there, there was a man who led this district for years. His name was E.L. Holly. My dad prayed him through the Holy Ghost. And he told me many times, when I opened my eyes, the only thing I could receive and the only thing I remember is watching the bottom of your dad's feet as they passed me going up and down, up and down, up and down, because he was worshiping God. He took on the role of priest of his home. And when he took on the role of priest of his home, our lives were changed. He came from a horrible family, horrible relationship. But be, that didn't affect dad because dad said, not at my house. And when you take on the role of leadership and you become the priest of your home, you're going to change your kids. You're going to change everything about you. You can start influencing others. As a result of my mother and dad getting the Holy Ghost in the early or middle 40s, within just a matter of months, according to my Uncle Travis, 37 members uh, of the, that family received the baptism of the Holy Ghost and got baptized in just a very short period of time. But it started with my older brother, Teddy, taking my uncle to church, and then from Uncle Ernest, it went to mom and dad, and then started spreading to all the people of, of, of her family, and there were 37 of them got the Holy Ghost in just a matter of a few months. I think six months, 37 received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Why? How did it happen? You get alignment right. You'll see miracles. You'll see God move. You'll see all kinds of things. You get the alignment out of order, and you get competition between husbands and wives. You won't get the blessings of God. You're not going to have nothing but chaos. You're going to have God moving in your home and your life and your relationship. All there's going to be is chaos because that home is not in alignment. But when Christ becomes the head and when the man submits himself as the head of his house to the leadership of God and he'll go where God takes him and do what God asks him to do, he'll change his family, he'll change himself, and he can actually change his world. When I was standing up there at the top of that Coliseum, and I came down in Ephesus just about a year and a half ago and stopped at the bottom. There was a guide, had a big crowd that she was telling about the the city and, and, and the, this arena and what happened at this Coliseum. You see, it was at this Coliseum that for two hours they shouted, Great is Diana or Demetrius. Great is Demetrius. Because when the church exploded, it's starting having such a, a ripple effect and a, an impact on the city that those people in the priesthood, the women of that priesthood, and that's who the priests were. They were priestess. They realized we're about to lose everything we stand for. We got to do something about it. And they got over 80,000 people gathered inside of that Coliseum for two hours. Shout, great, it's Demetrius. Great, it's Demetrius. But Demetrius didn't last. Within 10 years, they started dismantling the seventh wonder of the world and moving it to a new location because the church had exploded in that city. And within 50 years, the church was deciding who sat in the Senate, who ran the city, who was in what department, because there were more Christians than anybody else. That's what an apostolic church can do when it gets in alignment. 
But the first thing Paul had to say is, okay, we're out of alignment here. Submit yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husband as unto the Lord. You're not doing what you do for your husband. If you're doing it for him, you've missed it. You do it for the Lord because he's the one in charge. And he's the only one who can make sure that man don't mistreat you. You get under this leadership correctly, there's all kinds of things that start happening. See, my mother wasn't supposed to have children. Doctor said, I had a brother 17 years older than me. Not going to happen. You're never going to have kids. But when they got under alignment, God first healed her of a disease. And from listening to mom talk and the symptoms mom had, mom probably had leukemia. Because she lost down to about 80 pounds, had no strength to walk across the floor to another room, become horribly sick, and the Lord healed her. And the first one that showed up was the one sitting over here. And he wasn't real big, just 2 pounds, 14 ounces. They said he wouldn't live. (laughs) But 67 years down the road, he's still sitting here, isn't he? (laughs) Why? Because God's a healer. And if our homes are in order, you can see God do all kinds of stuff. All kinds of doors start opening that you'd never imagine your world could possibly open because you get the order right. And when you get the order right, then God flows from the head down into the church and the body, and the body becomes effective and starts changing the world. But it never is going to happen unless we as men put on our ephod. And we take, we quit abandoning priesthoods. We say, you know what? Enough. Time to be the priest of my home. It's time to stand up and say, you know what? As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I don't care what anybody else does, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And we're going to connect correctly to God. And when I connect correctly to God, if, if I, can I just be honest? When, when, when I got this thing lined up right, if I say the least thing that I shouldn't say to that lady over there, I have the worst day of my life. If I mistreat her in any way, it's the worst day of my life. And at the end of the day, when I look back and see how, how you know, this has been a terrible day, and the Lord will always remind me, remember what you said this morning? So you, if you'd have listened to me, you'd have said that to her. Because I won't let you. When I showed up, I told you the most important thing to do was protect her, not mistreat her, not say something bad to her, not humiliate her, not call her name, but make her feel like she's the most valuable person in the world because she's my bride and she teaches this church how to be a bride. You're not the bride. You're just a priest. So get in line, son. God may not talk to you like that, but he's raked me over the cold several times. I don't get these wandering revelations. I, I hear things like, I've never, James, when's the last time I needed your opinion about anything? Just shut up and do what I tell you to do. See, God won't let you mistreat people. They're too valuable to him. Don't be afraid. If you do it under the Lord, 
and he does it unto the Lord, there won't be this 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 abuse of any kind. He, there, there's not going to be anybody hurt. You know what's sad? It's when you go to church, all statistics on families jump by seven to ten points. They don't get better, they get worse. Fifty-three percent of Americans admit using violence in their families on a yearly basis. You go to church at sixty to sixty-three percent. God hates it. God said it'd be better you pluck your eye out, cut your foot off, cut your hand off, go through life halt and lame, ready to wind up in the lake of fire. God hates abuse. And when you align yourself with God and you get out of alignment, you start doing something, he will work your motor over so fast. Because you're saying, God, I submit myself to your authority and your will. I will not dominate her. I won't walk on her. I won't control her. I won't try to dictate her life. I'm going to love her like you loved her and like you loved the bride. And so I'm going to have to learn how to love you like myself. God never had to tell a woman to love her husband, did he? We had to tell all of us men because that's the hardest thing for you to do. So I got advice for you. Quit acting like a two-year-old or a six-year-old or a spoiled brat or a jerk. Grow up. Act like an adult. Put on your big boy clothes and become the man. And when you become the man, step in the role of priesthood and lead by example, not command. See, you ought to be so in tune with God, God don't have to tell you anything. You are already letting him flow through you, and you're not going to say something to hurt them. You're not going to call them a name. My children had never heard me call this lady a bad name. She's too valuable to me. They don't hear me saying bad words to her or doing. They've never seen me touch her. Or, well, that's not true. They've never seen me hit her, but they have seen me hug her on a regular basis. They've seen me wrap my arms around her and hold her. They, they, see, I, I have tried to emulate him. I've tried to stay in his presence long enough that I act like him, and I treat people like he'd treat them. And I remember whatever I do to them, I'm doing to him because he said, Matthew 18, whatever you do to them, you have done to me. And don't you know, their angel is always in the presence of my father. I'm going to sign an angel to every human being and you hurt them. You do something bad to them. I will deal with you and it'd be better you were buried in an unmarked grave where nobody knew you existed than to do something like that to hurt or harm somebody. So if we get this in alignment, nobody's going to be a dictator. He's not going to run over anybody. He's going to commit himself to cry when he takes on the robe of priest and he becomes submitted to his priesthood because he's the high priest and we're just simply operating under his authority. And when I get submitted unto him and I let his virtue flow through my life, I'll start treating people differently. Please stand. I want to have a different altar call tonight, if you'll let me. I want all the men to please come and line up across the front of this church. And I want you to lock arms as the priest of this church.
and the priesthood of this church. And I want you to say by what you're doing right now that you're becoming the priest and you're going to put on an ephod and you're going to link arms with these men who are in priesthood row right along beside you and that you're going to support one another and you're going to pray for one another and you're going to influence one another. And if you by chance see your brother that, that maybe is getting a little bit out of alignment, you'll have the courage and the nerve to step over and say, Brother, come on, help me. We're not living this right. Help me. Let's get this priesthood back in line. Let's put on an ephod so we can find the will of God, know the direction of God, and understand what God wants in our life because I have put on the robe he commanded me to wear so that I know what thus saith the Lord and what the Lord would have and desire for our lives. I, I want the Lord to be able to direct my life. I want the Lord to be able to give me the right words to say. I want him to speak into my heart every day of my life. I want him to talk to me every day so that I know what thus saith the word of the Lord is. I know what God is trying to lead me to do. We need a great revival in the city of Houston. We need to see thousands filled with the Holy Ghost. And if we get our hearts in alignment with His, then we can have the greatest revival that's ever happened. We can see this city transform as a result of what happens right here. I want all you ladies, if you can get in behind your husbands, to come and stand behind them. And I want you to lay your hands on your, uh, on your husband's children. If your fathers are here, I want you to step in behind them. And I want you to lay your hands, grandchildren. If your grandfather's here, your father, step in behind them. I want you to lay your hands on them. I want you to pray for them that they become the leaders and the priests of their home so that God's Spirit can move and God's power can be demonstrated in our midst. We need to see an old-fashioned move of God. We need to see God's power in His presence. In the name of Jesus.